guys. Welcome to Relatable. Happy Monday. Hope everyone had a wonderful weekend. Guys, do I have a guest for you? I put on Instagram, I put on Twitter that I had a big surprise guest, biggest interview that I've done. I have interviewed a ton of amazing people, but this is definitely the best known guest that I've ever had. Some of you did guess it on Instagram, but a lot of you are going to be very surprised. I'm not I'm not going to lead you on anymore. I'm just going to tell you that after this interview, we're going to talk about a few things that don't have to do with politics. We're going to talk about a few cultural stories. Um, we'll try to get to the comedian on Saturday Night Live talking about her abortion, my response to that, the Travis Scott Astroworld Festival tragedy, and then also the drama that Chris Pratt has um, uh, has unintentionally found himself And so we'll be talking about that after this interview. But first, here is my guest for today. Hi, Ali Beth. How are you? Hi, Mr. President. I'm doing well. How are you? Good. You are doing well. I watch you a lot and you do a great job. Well, thank you. At least we have some. Yes. At least we have some, right? Well, thank you. Thank you so much. Thanks for taking the time to to come on and join us. Gosh, there's so much, so much I would love to talk to you about. Um, Yes. Okay. First, I've got to get your reaction, which I'm sure you have a lot to say about this bombshell story that a man by the name of Igor Janchenko, I think is how you pronounce it. And just pardon me while I kind of catch my audience up a little bit. He was the source for the dossier that served as the basis for spying on members of your campaign, the basis for the whole Russia collusion investigation. He has been arrested because it has come out that he has lied to the FBI. My question for you is, how how deep do you think this goes? Who do you think knew that this entire dossier was based on total fabrications? Hillary Clinton, James Comey, other FBI agents. What's your take on that? They all knew. It's incredible that it's finally coming out. Too bad it wasn't done sooner, but a lot of good things can happen anyway. But they all knew about it, and Hillary led it, and supposedly paid for it, and paid for it big, big money. We're not talking about a little money. We're talking about millions and millions of dollars. And mm. and the DNC, the Democrat Party, uh, they knew about it. So just think about how bad how bad that is, Elizabeth. when you think. Uh, they concocted the scheme of Russia, Russia, Russia. Right. They knew it was a phony. Schiff knew it. Hillary knew it. They all knew it. And they went out there and demanded that Trump and his children be put in jail. Think of it. So they knew it was a phony deal. They were the ones that colluded with Russia, not me. I had nothing to do with Russia, but they did. So they colluded with Russia. They built a phony deal. And then they got up in news conference after news conference demanding jail for Trump and his children. Think about how... How sick that is and how evil it is. It's so evil. And a lot of people, believe it or not, a lot of people listening to this might not have followed all of the details over the past few years because it it just seems for a lot of people too far off. They feel like it doesn't affect their everyday life. But can you explain why the average American should care about this story and everything that we have found out even over the past few weeks about how much of a farce all of this was? Well, first of all, it's totally dishonest. Uh, the lying, the cheating, the FISA, you know, all of the things that took place in the FISA court, the all of the things that happened were it was a con job. It was a con job. And frankly, uh, it was very interesting. It may have not played to her benefit. I don't know. I guess we'll never know that. But it was so evil. It was so sick and so evil. And they play a vicious game. They play a dirty game. They do it continuously. This has been happening from the day I came down the escalator. It's happening in New York, the same kind of stuff. It's vicious and it's dirty. And the lawyers representing uh, the people looking to do things are Hillary Clinton's lawyers. These are Hillary Clinton's lawyers in New York that are uh, pushing for bad things, which are wrong, by the way, which are totally wrong. But this continues from the day I came down 
the escalator. This has been going yeah. on. I call it the witch hunt, the yeah. greatest witch hunt of all time. And we won. And then we won a second time. We got many, many millions more votes. We won a second time. And uh, unfortunately, uh, bad things happened. So we'll find out how that all works out. But very bad things happened. Right. But it's really something when you see this. And for those of, of you and, and many of your listeners, because I know you have rabid listeners, people mm -hmm. that enjoy politics, you enjoy it less uh, after after this. But really think of it. They made up a scheme. They knew it was them that made it up. I heard little tidbits years and years ago about Russia. Sir, do you know anything about Russia with regard to this stuff? No, I don't I have nothing to do with Russia. And after four or five people asked me the question, I'd say, huh, what's going on with Russia? It was a concocted, sick scheme that blew up in their faces ultimately. Hillary lost, but it never ends. So her lawyers head up investigations. Her lawyers are heading up investigations. This right. can only happen to me. This can only <laughs> happen to me. This can't happen to anybody else. But actually, I guess it can because a lot of people were hurt. A lot of people were destroyed over a, a hoax yeah. that was started by Hillary and by the Democrat Party. It's really sick. Well, that was just one of many narratives that were pushed about that was pushed about you by the mainstream yeah. media while you were in office. And I just have right. to ask now that and you're continues. yes. And but now that you're no longer president, are you relieved at all that you're not constantly ha having to deal with the media and confront kind of the adversarial attitude that they had toward you while you were in office? Is it nice to kind of take a break from that? Well, I still do, though. There's no break. Mm -hmm. You know, they have every lawyer they can imagine going after me for anything they can think of. Years and years of investigations, years and years. And it continues. And you know, look at even the election. An election was won in Virginia by a guy that I helped. If I didn't help him, he would have lost in a landslide. And they say, oh, we have a new model now. We have a new model. That's not a new model. If I didn't help him, he would have lost. He would have lost. The MAGA people were incredible. They all went out to vote. But he would have lost in a landslide. And frankly, and but they go to, and it's very interesting. I said to myself, and I said to people, if he wins, they'll give him credit 100%. If he loses, they'll blame me. Because that was the way, Yunkin. Uh for instance, we had a great congressman, Mike from Ohio, I call him. He won the congressional seat. They don't even talk about it. He won it by a lot. He won it over a tough Democrat easily. He won it over many Republicans getting the nomination. You never even hear about it. They don't talk about it. Right. It's an amazing, it's an amazing phenomenon. Think of it. A man became a congressman on Tuesday. You don't even read about it. I read stories mm. about other elections that are much smaller, but you mm. don't even read about it yeah. because he was somebody I supported from the beginning, got him past the primary in a landslide, got him past the election in a landslide. He was a great candidate. He's going to be a great congressman. They refused to write about it. Yeah. This is a major congressional race. Right. Yeah, it's amazing. Actually. So so no break from the false media narratives and kind of the animosity that the media has towards you. Um, one thing that I... I'm hoping and I'm sure that you're able to do and this is switching gears a little bit. I'm sure that you're able to spend even more time with your family. And uh, this is something that I've wanted to ask you for a long time because I've really admired it about you um, that you seem to have such strong relationships with your kids and your grandkids, even as you have been so busy your entire life building such a successful career. We've got so many moms, especially that listen to this podcast. And I think they would just be interested to hear this is not a political question at all. But how have you been able to kind of cultivate and maintain what seem like such healthy, strong relationships with all the people in your family? Well, I really appreciate the question. I mean, it's such a nice question because and it's such an important question. Um, you know, relationships and family have so much to do with success and with happiness and everything else. And that's why one of the things that most uh, bothers me, they go after my children all the time. You know, mm. my children are good children. They work. They'll always be my children. You know, they're right. they're adults now, but uh, with the exception of Baron, who's doing very well, but they're, they're my children. 
Right. And, you know, when they go after your children, you take that differently. You take it so personally. Uh, it's just an amazing it's just an amazing thing. But the relationship has been so strong. And that really helps you. You know, when you're going through a time like I don't think any other president's ever gone through anything like this, where it was hoaxes and they impeached me twice for no reason. They just mm. happened to have the votes. Because mm. one thing with the Democrats, they stick together. They've got horrible policy, but they stick together. That's true. Uh, whether it's good or bad, you know, uh, defund the police, uh, no voter ID. <laughs> it's, I mean, their policies are so bad, and yet uh, they stick together. It's about the only thing they do well. And uh, they do things on elections that you're not supposed to be doing. Mm. But, but, you know, the children really get you by it. And I stick with them and they stick with me. So the relationship is so important. I think it's it's so important towards success and toward happiness. There's no question about it. Yeah. And there's a there's a lot of moms that um, are listening that they've noticed some of the tactics that you're talking about, with the Democrats sticking together on issues that they really push back against. Yeah. And you mentioned the Virginia election. Um, a lot of uh, a lot of the the support behind Yunkin was also these moms going to school board meetings and pushing right. back against critical race theory That's and right. things like that. Um, what encouragement do you have for parents who are waking up to a lot of what the Democratic Party is pushing? They don't like it um, and they want to make a difference. They want to push back. What's what's your encouragement for them? Well, I thought the moms were incredible and actually fathers, too. There were a lot yeah, of fathers right. out there. I would watch those rallies in Loudoun and I would watch the you know, different the school boards. And, and some of these school boards, you say, where do they get these people? These people are <laughs> like evil. Where did they how did they get on? And I think you're going to see that change. Uh, the the moms have been fantastic. And they have been unbelievable and they've been unrelenting and they see what's happening. Don't forget, I wrote out uh, during my administration all of this horrible stuff that they were teaching to our military and to our federal employees and to schools. I took it all out. I wrote it out. Now, the day they came back in, they put it back in and it's really bad stuff. And they have pe people getting paid hundreds of thousands of dollars a year to teach this nonsense. But it's not nonsense to them. The really good thing, I mean, it's it's just coming out more and more how bad it is. Now they try and say that the CRTO, there, there is none. It's all in your imagination. No, it's not in the imagination. Mm -hmm. It's there, and it would have gotten worse. I just don't know if people are going to allow it to happen now. It's just so bad. But the moms and dads did a fantastic job. I agree with that. Yep. Now, a lot of these, um, a lot of these moms, a large portion of them, suburban women in particular, support you. Now, a complaint that sometimes you hear from this particular demographic, I represent that demographic, and a lot of people right. who are like me, you know, I voted for you twice, but some people who said, you know, I, I like him, I like his policies, but his tweets bother me or his rhetoric bothers me. He's a little bit too harsh. And in their minds, they're like, oh, Joe Biden is so sweet and genteel and whatever it is. Um, do you have any regrets or would you change anything about your rhetoric, about your tweets that may have turned off some suburban women from voting for you? So the the main thing, it's very interesting. I was under siege. The country was under siege. We were both under siege. Everybody was when I first came in. First of all, they started with phony investigations. The Russia, Russia, Russia was a phony investigation. The Mueller witch hunt turned out to be no collusion whatsoever. I got impeached twice for no reason whatsoever. I got impeached for a phone call congratulating somebody for being elected president to his country, Ukraine, and so many different things. So we were under siege, and yet I think nobody's done more as a president. I rebuilt the military. I got the largest tax cut in history, largest regulation cuts in history, uh, created Space Force. You know, I mean, we did so much. And uh, it and, and I, I also, by the way, got the strongest border we've ever had, independent uh, you know, we got uh, energy independence. Think of that. Energy independence. And now uh, energy is going fuel. I read this morning in certain parts of California, $7.70 a gallon. When I left, it was $1.83. And now it's even everywhere else. I mean, it's going to catch up to California pretty soon because we don't have oil. We don't have fuel. We, we stopped 
doing things that we were doing. We were bigger than Saudi Arabia, bigger than Russia. We would have been bigger than both of them combined if we kept going. And we had good, clean, beautiful energy. And it's a shame what happened. Now we're going to OPEC. I see where they're putting calls for OPEC to help us. I filled up the National Strategic Reserves. I watched uh, Maria Bartiromo this morning, who I think is terrific, by the way. And she was saying that President Trump filled up the strategic reserves. Uh, Many, many presidents let that go. And they were virtually empty. And I filled it up with very inexpensive oil. We filled it up. I mean, I filled it up at a level that nobody can believe, right, right to the top. Now Biden wants to use that to try and get the energy prices down. The problem is the oil, the oil price and the gasoline price. The problem with that is that that was used. That's there. These are strategic reserves. That's used for an emergency. And again, many, many presidents, because it's expensive, but I got a great deal. I got it when energy was at its lowest. I made a deal. We filled it up. It also kept the uh, the energy companies, the oil companies going because we had it going, I mean, at a level that nobody's ever seen before. So we had inexpensive energy. We had everybody was working. We, had, we created the greatest economy in the history of our country. But uh, I didn't have that much time. And again, we were under attack from the Democrats more so than anything else. But other countries didn't like that I was renegotiating trade deals. It was so bad. You know, it's an America first policy that was so bad for America. And I guess I could have taken an edge off. But, you know, when you have that much work to do, you don't have that much time for the niceties. But I think they do appreciate the niceties. And I'll tell you one thing I did for suburban, you know, I call it the suburban moms. I stopped low income housing from being built right next to their house. And that was a big thing. And I never believed that I lost suburbia. I never believed it. And Mm. to this day, I don't believe it. Yeah. So what you're saying is that people should be mostly focusing on the policies that you put in place while you were in office that benefited us rather than maybe some of the tweets that they didn't like quite as much. I was a hard worker. And you don't have that much time. There were so many things to do. There was so much wrong. Now, unfortunately, you know, what they've done is they're destroying our country. We mm-hmm. have millions and millions of people flowing into our country. We have no idea where they're from. Forget about the mask and, and all of the other problems that, you know, when, when you look at uh, when you look at everybody has to be vaccinated except them. They're the only people don't have to be, you know, don't don't even think. How about giving them four hundred and fifty thousand dollars each? How about how about that one? OK, four hundred and fifty thousand. But veterans that are living on the streets get nothing. OK, mm-hmm. it's uh, it's sick. It's a sick. Yeah, it's a sick policy. It's a yep. sick uh nobody's ever seen anything like it. So when people say to me, gee, I wish you were a little bit nicer. Actually, I think I was nicer, but the end (laughs) result was nicer because we produced pre-COVID and then I got it going again after COVID. We produced the greatest, the single greatest economy in the history of the world. And everybody agrees to that. Yep. I think that we're seeing the consequences right now of people voting for something maybe as superficial as, you know, something like tweets, but the policies are the things that do the destroying. And that is certainly what we're seeing right now. All right. Final question. Well, the tweets did Go get ahead. the word out. The tweets got the word out. That's true. And, and a lot you know, of people I don't loved think they them. Were mean. They, they got the word out. And a lot of people didn't like to hear the word, but the tweets got the word out. And now mm. we're going to have our own site, which I think will be fantastic. But in January, oh, yes. February, sometime like that. Yes, people think, are excited tweets, about that. You know, by by putting that out, we were able to tell people what was going on. And it wasn't always pleasant. So I can mm. understand that. Mm. But, uh, you know, I do think they served a good purpose. Don't forget, we got almost 75 million votes, probably much more than that. But we got 75 million votes. No president, no sitting president ever got near that. Uh, 12 million more votes than we got last time. No president's ever gotten anywhere near 12 million votes. Usually they get less votes. Even if they win, they get less votes. I was told if I got the same number, I couldn't lose and I got 12 million more. So we got all these votes. And so people say, oh, gee, I wonder if you I said, look, you know, I got 75 million votes. Mm. You understand a lot of bad things happened. Well, Mr. President, thank you so much. And I guess my last question is the question that you're getting all the time. Are you running again? 
Well, I think you're going to be very happy. Let me put it that way. You know, I'm not allowed to talk about it for <laughs> campaign finance reasons, and the the campaign finance laws are really ridiculous. But uh, I think you're going to be very happy, and I think your audience is going to be very happy. And I love our country, and we put America first, and we make America great again. Now we have to make America great again, again. You know, I say it again, right. again, because we made it great, <laughs> but we're going to have to do it again. So, uh, but I think uh, people would be very happy. Well, thank you so much, Mr. President. I really appreciate you taking the time to come on. And thank you very much. You have a great show and you do a great job. We appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much. Bye. Okay, guys, I hope you enjoyed that conversation. I so enjoyed talking to President Trump. We have been trying to get that interview for a very long time. Uh, My team has been very persistent in trying to get him on the show, and he was gracious enough to give me a few minutes of his very busy morning. So I hope you guys uh, enjoyed that. All right, before we get into the rest of the episode, I have to tell you guys about our first sponsor for the day. That is Annie's Kit Clubs. They are launching their latest subscription. So this is a a new box that I haven't told you guys about before, and that is the Genius Box. So each month, your curious kids will get a new box bursting with three hands-on activities to explore an exciting STEM theme. So they can design a hovercraft, examine fossils, build robots, so much more. Your kids will discover a whole range of STEM fields from geology to chemistry to aerodynamics through interactive projects and experiments. Empower your kids' imagination and their critical thinking skills with Genius Box, an immersive introduction to real-life science that's as entertaining as it is educational. It's perfect for all curious kids ages about 7 to 12, and it doesn't require a whole lot of super vision. You don't have to worry about going to the craft store, getting all the materials, the supplies that you need. Annie's Kit Clubs makes sure that all of that shows up in a box on your front door. So it's super convenient and it's just a productive way for your kids to have fun, spend their time rather than just, you know, having your kids sit in front of the uh, sit in front of the TV or a screen when you need them to, you know, Uh, be entertained or be distracted, you can make sure that they are learning. They're using their their time in a productive way. So go to annieskitclubs.com slash Allie. Save 50% on your first box. That's annieskitclubs.com slash Allie for 50% off. annieskitclubs.com slash Allie. All right. So I first want to talk about Astroworld. So this is a festival that's put on by the singer slash rapper Travis Scott. I can't say that I am the number one Travis Scott fan. Like I don't I don't know if I could actually list any of his songs. But the reason that we're talking about this is because this was a big story from over the weekend. It was trending. And maybe you know Travis Scott more as the father of Kylie Jenner's children. Kylie Jenner, they have one like two-year-old maybe. And then she is also pregnant. But he's a very popular artist. People love him. And so he had a festival over the weekend in Houston. Texas, and he's had these before, and I think that there have um, there have been stories like the one that we are about to talk about previously, uh, previously too. And the story is that eight people are dead, dozens more are injured, and um, it has to do. There's apparently a variety of factors playing into this, but. The 50,000 people that were there, when Travis Scott got on stage, they rushed towards the stage and some people got trampled. Some people died of a heart attack because you can imagine the prospect of being trampled and feeling claustrophobic, not knowing how you're going to be able to escape the crowd can cause really high stress and can cause someone to actually suffer from cardiac arrest. But there are some there are some other things that are going on. There are apparently, as a police officer who was delivering a press conference said, there was apparently someone going around with some kind of mixture of drugs um, and actually injecting it into people's body, like into people's neck. Now, 
I don't know. Obviously, I wasn't there. I'm not able to verify that. That is the report that I saw of one police officer that people were actually passing out after they were forcibly injected with drugs. 17 people were taken to the hospital. So I'm guessing we'll probably learn more from those reports. Uh, One attendee wrote this on Instagram. The rush of people became tighter and tighter. Breathing became something Only a few were capable of. The rest were crushed or unable to breathe in the thick, hot air. It was like watching a Jenga tower topple. Person after person were sucked down. You were at the mercy of the wave. We begged security to help us, for the performer to see us and know something was wrong. None of that came. We continued to drown. I mean, that is terrifying. If that sounds like a form of hell, that's because I truly think that there is something demonic that goes on at these festivals. People have actually, and we'll put this up on on YouTube. If you're watching on YouTube, people have actually showed that they're um, that Astro World, how it is designed. And if you're listening, it's like there's this huge, I don't even know how tall it is, maybe like 40 feet high statue, like the entrance of the Astro World Festival is Travis Scott's face, his head. And then you're like entering through what looks like his mouth. People have been pointing out on social media that there is an old depiction of hell that actually looks very similar. So is it intentional? Is this supposed to look demonic? Is this supposed to look like some version of hell? We've actually seen uh, people playing around with the demonic and the satanic as far as the themes of their videos and their music goes, especially recently. Lil Nas X coming out with his satanic shoes and um, he had a music video where... Satan was a central character. We talked about that when it happened. We can link that previous episode. So this, if this is intentionally satanic, then that's certainly not the first time even recently an artist has tried to reflect the demonic. And so I don't think that we can be surprised when uh, people are basically enabling, encouraging Satan worship, if that's what's going on here, when there are not just spiritual oppressive forces at place, but also physically oppressive uh, forces at play. We see destruction and death when we see sin glorified. Certainly, I think that we can see that there was idolatry at play here. For someone to become so animalistic, to lose their sense of rationality when they're at a concert, that they would rush towards a stage with a human being on it whose music, I guess, they worship in some way or maybe who as an individual people worship, that they would be able to risk or be willing to risk their lives and the lives of people around them. Like, even if this wasn't intentionally, you know, some kind of Satan worshiping ritual, there is something certainly demonic in the idolatry that we see at play here. And we know that Satan comes to steal, kill, and destroy And that's what happened. At the very least, at the very least, like if you don't want to go with me down the spiritual path, okay. At the very least, it's irresponsible. There should have been more security. There should have um, been better barriers. There should have been some rules at play. I don't know if Travis Scott himself is culpable, but if everything kind of rises and falls on leadership, then certainly he should be ensuring that there are these kinds of barriers, boundaries in place to try to stop things like this from happening. There have been many big concerts with tens of thousands of people attending them before where things like this don't happen. And like I said, things like this have happened in the past. There are actually videos that came out on social media of Travis Scott several years ago actually encouraging the crowd to beat up other people in the crowd. And so when you look at that, it does seem like, okay, maybe there is some culpability on his shoulders. He did release a statement that says, I'm absolutely devastated by what took place last night. My prayers go out to the families and all those impacted by what happened at Astroworld Festival. Houston PD has my total support as they continue to look into the tragic loss of life. I'm committed to working together with the Houston community to heal and support the families in need. Thank you to Houston PD, Fire Department, and NRG Park for their immediate response and support. Love you all. And Kylie Jenner also said that apparently her, uh, that she and Travis Scott didn't know about the loss of life until the next day. Long after the event, she claims that Travis Scott 
didn't see or didn't really know what was going on. And, you know, maybe that's true. But you've got all these young people who went to a concert thinking that they were just going to have fun. Young people very often think that they're invincible, that they would be able to rush a crowd and survive a stampede of 50,000 people. And now their lives are over. I mean, we're talking probably teenagers, people in their early 20s. Their families don't have a sister, a brother, a daughter, a son. Uh, Their friends have lost a part of their community. I mean, that is devastating. And all for what? For what? To idolize a singer who is just a fallible human being like everyone else? I mean, man, idolatry kills. It's one thing to enjoy a concert. That's fine. But seeing the kind of animalistic behavior that we saw at this show, like I said earlier, I think does speak to um, a form of, if not demonic activity, certainly certainly just darkness and, and, and idol worship, which I guess in a sense is... Um, is all satanic in a way. Um, All right, that's all I wanted to say on that. And then I've got uh, a couple more stories I wanted to cover at least quickly. But before I do, let me tell you about our second sponsor for the day. And that is GenuCell. All right, we just fell back. Uh, you know, daylight savings time, all that. It's just a racket. Why do we even still do that? And for a lot of people falling back, is nice. You feel like, okay, you get um, an extra hour of sleep. That's great. Not if you are a parent. That is not what happens. If you are a mom or a dad, you know that you don't get an extra sleep because then your kids just wake up instead of at 6.30, they wake up at 5.30. So you do not get that extra hour. In fact, it can even make you more tired. And so if you are dealing with the tireds from daylight savings time uh, as a mom, then maybe you need just a little extra something in your skincare routine to help you with those dark circles or the bags under your eyes. Let me recommend to you GenuCell from Shaw Moni. So it's an incredibly powerful natural serum. Uh, serum. It has immediate effects. It is guaranteed to show results in as little as 12 hours or your money back. What? That's an amazing guarantee. Users saw results in only 12 hours with dramatic improvements in two weeks. GenuCell contains eight extra ingredients to significantly reduce the appearance of bags and puffiness. It uses patented plant stem cell technology to improve longevity and brilliant long-term results. From now until Thanksgiving... You can see the difference yourself with 60% off on GenuCell packages. That's 60% if you use my code lovegenucel.com slash Allie. That's love, G-E-N-U-C-E-L dot com slash Allie to get 60% off packages. Lovegenucel.com slash Allie. All right, now I want to talk about this um, SNL clip that was going around. It was going viral on Twitter. There were a lot of pro-abortion people that were applauding it. Uh, There is a woman by the name of Cecily Strong. I haven't heard of her before, but that doesn't mean that much. I'm uh, not that plugged into Hollywood and certainly the people who profess to be comedians. I'm not paying that much attention, but there are a lot of people who are fans of her and they applauded her for acting like a clown on SNL and talking about an abortion that she got when she was 23. I will spare you the entire clip, but I'll show you just a little bit of it so you know what I'm talking about. I know I wouldn't be a clown on TV here today if it weren't for the abortion I had the day before my 23rd birthday. Clowns have been helping each other end their pregnancies since the caves. It's going to happen, so it ought to be safe, legal, and accessible. We will not go back to the alley. I mean, the last thing I want is a bunch of dead clowns in a dark alley. So she goes on and on like that for a few minutes. Basically, she is trying to say, she's saying that, oh, clowns get abortions. Clowns need abortions. I wouldn't be a clown on TV if it weren't for a clown abortion. So I guess they're trying to make the slaughter of unborn children funny. I have a really hard time. Well, one, of course, I have a really hard time seeing any humor in abortion. I mean, you're literally talking about killing a baby. What's funny about that? She says that she is acting like a clown to to make it more palatable. She says that it's a, a rough subject, and so she has to act like a clown, which that in itself is so telling. If you can't talk about what abortion actually is, if you can't talk about the subject of abortion without using euphemisms, as we've talked about so many times, without trying to turn it into a joke, then 
don't you see that's probably because you're feeling a little defensive about it? Because, you know, talking about what an abortion actually is, which is not just the ending of a pregnancy, which is what she says in her little silly monologue, but it's actually ending the life of the baby. If you can't talk about something realistically, if you can't talk about something soberly, if you can't talk about what a procedure is, then why are you supporting it? Like maybe you're on the wrong side. If your side can only be supported with euphemisms, with rhetorical games, and with ridiculous jokes that aren't even funny. And and that's that's the thing that I always say is that if you're on the side that can use plain language, if you're on the side that you can say the truth and the truth actually helps you, you can talk about the gory details of something and that actually helps your side, then you're probably on the, r- the right side. Like, I have no fear of talking about what an abortion is, as we have detailed many times on this podcast. It is brutal. It is grotesque. It is painful. It is nothing other than killing A human being killing a baby, you can call that baby a fetus, that's fine. You can even call the baby a zygote at a certain stage, that's fine. None of that changes what an abortion is, which is killing a human being. And then on the other side, you see all of these euphemisms. You get people literally acting like clowns to be able to talk about it because there is no way to actually make abortion not barbaric. There's no way to make this subject actually palatable. Now, I want to touch on this claim that strong makes, um, that if abortion is going to happen anyway, which she claims that it's always going to, then we might as well just make it safe, that we don't want to outlaw abortion because people are going to get abortions and outlawing abortion just outlaws safe abortion. That's, That's what we hear. And people are just going to use hangers and back alleys if we outlaw abortion. So let's at least make it safe for women. First of all, let's point out the illogic of that statement. If something is wrong. It's wrong. We shouldn't refuse to outlaw something because we are scared about the danger of the person or the the threat that it might pose to the person that is committing the crime. That's like saying, oh, well, we should just make people are going to rape anyway. People are going to murder anyway. People are going to steal anyway. And so we might as well make it safer for the person who is doing the murdering, the, the raping or the stealing by not making it illegal. That's silly. Like that doesn't make sense. We're not just when we say that abortion should be illegal, we're not just talking about reducing the instance of abortion. We're not just talking about making it less likely. Of course, that's part of the goal of the pro-life anti-abortion movement. Absolutely. We want to make abortion unthinkable, which means there are a variety of tools in our tool belt to try to reduce the number of abortions and reduce the desire to have an abortion. Absolutely. But that's not the only, or I would say even the primary driver of the pro-life movement. It is also about recognizing the dignity, the humanity of life inside the womb. Because we believe babies inside the womb are human beings, uh, we believe that they are entitled to fundamental rights, the most fundamental being the right to life, the right not to be murdered as an innocent, defenseless human being. That is the most fundamental right that any human being has. And we believe that that should be granted to all humans, including humans inside the womb. And there really is no logic behind saying, oh, yeah, humans have a right to life except for that human in the womb. Why? Because of location, because of size, because of dependency, because of age. Those seem like all very flippant reasons to justify killing someone. Um, And so the reason why we believe that abortion should be illegal is not just because it actually does reduce the number of abortions, but Also, because we think the law should recognize a fact that a human being inside the womb is indeed a human being and is therefore entitled to fundamental human rights. Um, And so, again, the logic of, well, it's just going to happen anyway, so let's just make it legal so it can be safe, that just doesn't really hold up. But also... There is a myth going on here, and the myth is that before abortion was legal, before Roe v. Wade, everyone was having these back alley abortions, and people were using coat hangers. Certainly, that did happen, but this idea that it was so prevalent and then Roe v. Wade happened and all of a sudden abortion was safe for the woman. First of all, abortion is never safe because it actually intends to kill a person, so it's never safe. Abortion is never, ever safe because it either seriously injures a human being inside the womb and the mother, or 
it kills the human being inside the womb and injures the mother, or at the very least, it kills the human being inside the womb. So abortion is never safe. But this idea that it's safer for the woman when abortion is legal um, is a myth. This is reported by Live Action. Live Action is a pro-life organization that does so much good work in this um, in this arena. And um, they report on Dr. Bernard Nathanson. He was the co-founder of NARAL. That is a large abortion organization that obviously still exists to this day. He discusses how the abortion industry purposely fabricated the number of illegal abortions prior to Roe v. Wade. So Nathanson admitted that fictional polls were created in order to convince the public of the need for legal abortion. We'll include the link to this article in the description. This is according to a book that he wrote. Um, he said abortion activists sold Americans the lie that thousands of women were dying annually from back alley abortions when the actual figure was in the hundreds. Knowing that if a poll were taken, we should we should so- be soundly defeated. We simply fabricated the results of fictional polls. Nathanson Nathanson said, we announced to the media that we had taken polls and that 60% of Americans were in favor of permissive abortion. This is the tactic of the self-fulfilling lie. Few people care to be in the minority. So not only did they lie about the fact that all of these thousands of women were dying of back alley abortions before Roe v. Wade, they also lied about this statistic that 60% of Americans are in favor of permissive abortion, hoping that that would psychologically trick people into then supporting abortion because no one wants to be in the minority. No one wants to be um, what is seen as some kind of extremist. That's just something to keep in mind, a principle that probably applies in a lot of different ways. Um, It goes on to say, we aroused enough sympathy to sell our program of permissive abortion by fabricating the number of illegal abortions done annually in the U.S. The actual figure was approaching 100,000, but the figure we gave to the media repeatedly was 1 million. Repeating the big lie often enough convinces the public. The number of women dying from illegal abortions was around 200 to 250 people annually. The figure constantly fed to the media was 10,000. And so then he also talks about that took root um, in the consciousness of Americans. It convinced them that they had to crack abortion law because all of these tens of thousands of women were dying of abortions. He says the annual number of abortions has increased by 1,500% since legalization. So 1,500% annual abortions have increased since it was legalized in the 1970s. Um, And also this idea that Um, Keeping abortion legal and low regulation around abortion keeps women safe. That's not true. Abortion centers today, um, there was one that was reported on in New York City. They're inspected less than tanning salons. And so actually, there are plenty of cases. For example, Kermit Gosnell, there was another um, case that we talked about. I think that it was in Indiana um, where grotesque practices by abortionists, not just killing these babies up to, you know, 42 weeks gestation, uh, but also using unsanitary practices on mothers. Mothers were then dying of these infections. This has happened just in the past few years. So this is happening around the country. These abortion mills are not being inspected. So it's actually safe for no one. Afterabortion.org says prior to legalization, 90% of legal abortions were done by physicians. And so this idea that people were just using hangers in the back alley, that's actually not true. Most of the remainder were done by nurses, midwives, or others with at least some medical training. So even before Roe v. Wade, people were still able to find some kind of medical professional to perform their abortion. Even Planned Parenthood's own leading leading statisticians admitted that the official statistics on deaths resulting from illegal abortion were very were very accurately reported prior to 1973. In 1972, there were only 39 maternal deaths related to illegal abortion, not the thousands proclaimed by pro-abortionists. So the point is, um, is that this idea that thousands of women were dying from back alley abortions before Roe v. Wade is just not true. It's just not true. Now, maybe that would be more true today because abortion has been so normalized and women think that they have to be Uh, They have to sacrifice their children in order to be successful. I mean, talk about demonic activity like we were talking about with um, Astroworld. I mean, literally sacrificing your children to Malak for what? A a mediocre comedic career? I don't even know this lady. Like, was it worth killing your child when you were 23 years old to get the career that you have? I've never even heard of you. 
And that child had to sacrifice their life for this so you could play a a a, a clown on television? That's worth it to you? I mean, talk about demonic. Talk about satanic. I mean, I, satanic. I mean, I feel bad for her in a sense because she's been deceived like so many women have that you have to you have to kill your child in order to be successful or be fulfilled in life. It's just not true. It's just not true. And look, we can talk about all of the different policy proposals and all of the different ways that we can create a culture of life. And we can make sure that women are taken care of so they don't feel like they have to sacrifice their children. Some women truly are in desperate situations. I understand that. We can talk about all of those things, but let's start at the fact that a human being in the womb is a human being and shouldn't be discarded for our convenience or for any reason. It's not a laughing matter. People haven't been laughing at SNL for a long time, but certainly when they tried to make abortion into some kind of jest, it's just so dark. It's so dark. And um, the truth is worth adhering to and it's worth talking about because when it comes to abortion, the truth is on our side. So just be just be confident in that. When they're having to make a joke of it, it's probably because they're insecure about just the um the the immorality and the shakiness of their position. All right, one more thing I want to quickly talk about. That's Chris Pratt. But before we do, let me tell you about our third and final sponsor for the day. That is Good Ranchers. All right, you guys have heard me talk about Good Ranchers lots of times before, and that is because they are awesome. You might not know this, but over 100,000 American farms and ranches have been closed down, have been shut down just since 2015 because foreign meat is stealing their business and robbing you of the quality of meat that you deserve. And that's why Good Ranchers is here. They exist to support local American farms that help you make great American meals for your family. They want to restore the American ranch. They want to help local farmers. They want to put America first and they want to give you a really good product. All you have to do, you go to goodranchers.com slash alley. You pick out the different kinds of meat that you want. They've got all different kinds. They've got better than organic chicken. Some of it's pre-marinated, some of it's not. They've got T-bone steak and they've got your ground beef and they've got your fillets and they ship it to you individually wrapped, vacuum sealed on dry ice, shows up at your front door in just a few days. And then you just put it in the freezer and then it's all ready to go. We eat good ranchers almost every day. It makes our life so much easier. And right now they have an awesome deal for my listeners. If you go to goodranchers.com slash Allie right now, you get 10 free bistro filet medallions with your order. Plus, if you subscribe, so you get that box of meat every month, you'll also save $25 on each box of mouthwatering American meats for life. Uh, get 10 free bistro medallions as a $100 value and free express shipping, plus that $25 off if you subscribe by going to goodranchers.com slash Allie or use the code Allie at checkout. That's goodranchers.com slash Allie, goodranchers.com slash Allie. All right. I just wanted to just quickly talk about this Chris, this Chris Pratt story because some of you are asking me about this and apparently became this big drama on social media. And um, I was surprised by it because I didn't see anything wrong with the post, but I'll get into why some people had um, had some trouble with it. We've just got all kinds of celebrity news today. So Chris Pratt, who I like, I like all of his characters. We're Parks and Rec fans in our family. And so, of course, we like Andy Dwyer and we just find him very likable. He has been very supportive of the police, of the military. I don't know if he's an out-and-out Republican or social conservative or anything like that, but he has talked about his faith before. He seems more on the conservative side and you don't see that a lot in Hollywood. And so he's got a fan base, I would say spanning, you know, across the aisle. But in recent years, a lot of conservatives have appreciated him kind of standing apart from the wokeness that we see in Hollywood. Um, Well, he was married before to Anna Ferris. They have a son. His, their son has pretty severe um, health issues. I think he was born premature. He's had health issues since birth. He and Anna Ferris got a divorce, and now he uh, is married to Katherine Schwarzenegger, and they have a daughter together. I think she just gave birth not too long ago. So he posted a picture with his wife, Katherine Schwarzenegger. She's looking up at him and adoringly and 
he says this in his caption, guys, for real, look how she's looking at me. I mean, find you somebody that looks at you like that. You know, we met in church. She's given me an amazing life, a gorgeous, healthy daughter. She chews so loudly that sometimes I put my earbuds in to drown it out, but that's love. She helps me with everything in return. Periodically, I open a jar of pickles. That's the trade. Her heart is pure and it belongs to me. My greatest treasure right next to my Ken, Ken Griffey Jr. Upper Deck Rookie card, which if you know, you know, is saying a lot. It's her birthday in about six weeks. So if I don't get her anything, I'll tell her to look back on this post. Love you, honey. I thought it was funny. He is a funny guy. He plays a lot of funny characters. So obviously there is some seriousness sprinkled in with some humor. I thought that it was uh, pretty cute. Now, of course, as a Christian, am I sad about the entire situation with divorce and a child that is, um, you know, with his previous wife, divorce is always messy. The Christian church is very clear um, about uh, marriage and how two are becoming one. And we are not to let man separate what God has joined together. And so scripture is very clear about that. So whenever there is divorce, whenever especially there's a child involved. Of course, there's a tragic aspect to it. But even if we're not looking at that, we're just, you know, looking at this particular post. Is there anything problematic with it? Some people thought so because he emphasized healthy daughter. Um, they thought that maybe he was taking a shot at his son uh, with Anna Ferris, And um, people thought that he was just kind of being creepy, saying that Catherine Schwarzenegger's heart belongs to him. I think just the lesson that we learn from this, and some people are calling it cringy, and people just don't like him because he's maybe moderate or center right or whatever. I think it just goes to show that people are always going to hyper scrutinize everything people online say. They're going to take it out of context. They're going to try to apply meaning to it that just isn't there. And something that I do really appreciate um, about Chris Pratt is that you know what, like he's not going to apologize to people that are criticizing him for reasons that he sees as pretty baseless. Apparently he was sad about it. Um, He was sad about the pushback that he was getting, but he just said um, that, uh, that, you know, all glory to God. I'm not going to let these haters get me down. And you know what? Good for anyone who simply stands by the things that they said and the things that they meant to say. If you weren't trying to be offensive, um, if and it honestly wasn't offensive, then there's really no reason to apologize for something that you're not truly sorry for. Um, and we just don't know. We don't know what goes on behind the scenes. Maybe he has a great relationship with Anna Ferris. I have no idea. Who are we to even talk about this kind of stuff? Again, I think the theme is like people care too much about celebrity opinions and then it consumes their mind and it consumes their lives and we just think too much about it. We think too much about it. All right. That's all I have time for today. There's a lot more that I could talk about, but we'll have to get into it tomorrow. Tomorrow we've got Ben Shapiro. We're talking about uh, the vaccine mandate and everything that goes into that. So we will see you back here then.